Well, good morning. My name is Stephen. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I'm really glad you decided to join us. Uh, service looks slightly different this morning than normal. We've only done one song up front. We'll do some more on, on the backside of service today. Uh, and we, we kind of changed it up intentionally because we want to leave some time for worship at the end. Uh, if you uh, have been here over the last few weeks, you know we're in this series called Exceedingly Righteous, where we're contrasting the righteousness of the Pharisees with the righteousness of Jesus. Said another way, uh, the, the internal righteousness uh, that Jesus came to teach us uh, versus the external righteousness that sometimes we portray uh, thinking we're okay uh, because we're portraying this external righteousness. And Jesus came to help us understand uh, what that Old Testament righteousness looks like under grace in this new covenant, not to throw away the Old Testament righteousness, but to redeem it, to uh, help us properly understand it. And this morning, uh, we continue on in our series with the passage we just read. One of my favorite movies growing up was The Patriot. And uh, if you remember that movie, it's, uh, I guess, appropriate for the week that we're in. Uh, it tells the story of the American Revolution following uh, a character uh, that Mel Gibson plays. And there's this one scene in the movie that, and if you've seen it, it's the most um, heart-wrenching scene. And uh, the, there's a group of people, and they're in this church. And uh, the, the British come, and they lock them in this church, and, and they burn the church down. And the children and the women and, and the, the old men and everyone who is locked in this church all die. And the, the vengeance that Mel Gibson's son wants to enact on these people who have done that is one of the storylines throughout the rest of the movie. And as you watch it, you, you feel his sense and desire for justice. And you want to see him win and take this guy out for what he did. In fact, it ends up costing, it's Heath Ledger who plays this, it actually ends up costing him his life in the movie, his quest for vengeance and for, for justice. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus' teaching on what vengeance looks like, on what justice looks like. And to properly understand the teaching, we all have to go to a place, I think, of identifying that person in our lives or the, maybe those people who we want to enact vengeance against. So Jesus is talking very particular here. He's very personal to the individuals that he was speaking to. And one of the things he's doing is, he's, I think, uh, for the people he's speaking to, he's getting them to think and to understand who is this person in your life, that person that's hurt you, that abandoned you, that took from you, that stole from you, that cost you. That person that you would identify as your enemy or that you would say to them, they are evil. They're nothing short of evil. In fact, Jesus, I think, actually just seeds the point. He doesn't even get in an argument really saying, um, okay, well, they're really not that bad. Jesus actually calls the person evil. We'll see it in his opening line. He says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Jesus actually calls this person evil. The person in your life who has hurt you the most, who has dug the knife in or who stabbed you in the back when you least expected it, who cost you the most in life. This is the person Jesus is talking about. 
And Jesus says, how do we treat that person? How do we treat that person? What does justice look like? What does vengeance look like with that person? And here's what we're gonna see Jesus teach. We're gonna see him teach, don't resist that person like he didn't resist us on the cross. We're gonna uh, see him teach later on. He's gonna give three examples of what it looks like to not just not resist that person, but actually to go to extraordinary lengths to be helpful to that person like he was on the cross. And then we're gonna see him say to be generous and sacrificial for that person. Like he was generous with the riches of heaven. Like he was sacrificial with his life. It says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, this is a, a justice teaching in Judaism as well as other ancient cultures. And it was actually a pretty just way to run a society. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, one of the reasons this was established is, is first it eliminated prejudice. And so um, if you were a rich person and you assaulted a poor person, you didn't get out just because you were rich. In fact, this type of justice eliminated um, uh, many of the isms, all right? Racism or classism or sexism or whatever, um, because it was simple, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. In fact, this idea of justice should kind of tickle our modern senses, right? Of what's right and wrong. There's no prejudice, all right? There, there's no power struggle. Another thing it would do is it was trying to uh, create an end to any type of perpetual violence. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So eye for an eye, and then it's over. It's done. There's no long, ongoing struggle. So it actually created a peaceful society. The last thing it did is it, it stopped um, outrageous punishment, right? It's not an eye for a life, right? Or, or a tooth for a life, okay? It's just an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so it actually created a somewhat just society, but then Jesus shows up and he says, I want to teach you about an inner justice, an inner way of dealing with your vengeance or dealing with those who have wronged you. He goes into this, this first thing. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. It might be helpful to just put a name in there for you. Do not resist, fill in the blank, whoever they are, whatever they did. Jesus calls them evil. <laughs> he says, do not resist the one who is evil. Don't resist them. Now, in the scriptures, we're told to resist the devil. So one thing Jesus might be teaching here is that person who hurts you isn't the devil as much as you think they are. They're not. They're a person. A broken one, sure. One who hurts you, yes, but not the devil. Now, when we resist the devil, what do we do? We pray against the devil. We speak words against the devil. We run the other way. What do we do with our enemies often? <laughs> we pray against them. We speak words against them. We run the other way. We see them in the restaurant, we quickly exit and go somewhere else. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't pray against them. Pray for them. Don't speak words of bitterness. Speak words of blessing. Can you think of that? Speak word of blessing to fill in the blank. 
Don't run away from them. Step towards them. I mean, if this alone were the teaching, it is hard enough. And if you're really picturing that person in your head, if you remember the pain that they caused you, the, 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 the whatever it is that they took from you, the idea of stepping towards them instead of running away from them, the idea of praying for them instead of against them. If you've ever prayed a prayer for somebody that you would classify as your enemy or as evil, then you've probably had this thought. God, I pray a lot of prayers. I pray for myself. I pray for my family. I pray for the people I like. And you never seem to answer them. And I just know if I pray a prayer for my enemy, you're going to do it. I mean, it's hard. That's what he says. Now, if this alone was Jesus' teaching on how to deal with our enemy or the evil one, it would be difficult. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just stop with uh, don't resist them. He, he moves on and he says this. He says, in fact, don't just not resist them. He says, go to extraordinary lengths to be helpful towards them. Whew. Let me tell you what this is going to require, by the way. Oh, it's going to require deep humility. Deep humility. Like the kind of humility that Christ showed on the cross. To go extraordinarily lengths to be helpful to your enemy is going to require the type of humility that will admit fault and take blame even when it isn't yours to take. It's the kind of humility that, that can say, you know what, I was wrong, not you. Even when you know you weren't. And you say, well, that's not right. And that's exactly what Christ did on the cross. When he took all of our blame and said, no, it was mine. It's mine. Why do you do that? To create peace. To create peace. It takes the kind of humility um, that in order to bring peace to the kingdom, in order to bring peace to the situation, can humble yourself and say, I don't need to preserve and to protect what is mine. I don't need to preserve and to protect my identity, my reputation. I don't need to preserve. I'll let God handle that. And I'll take the blame. It's the, um, in order to do this, it's going to take a generosity. A generosity of what is yours given to the evil one, the enemy. Like Christ gives the riches of heaven to us. Where he says, yeah, I know this is mine. It was all Jesus's and he gave it to us. This type of, uh, of dealing with your enemy in this way is to take what is yours even rightfully so what is yours. And to say, even though you wronged me, I will extend it to you and I won't fight you for it. It's gonna take sacrifice. It's the only way it happens. This, this grinds against everything that is natural. This teaching, this way of dealing with your enemy. Our way of dealing with our enemy is always to stand up and to fight. Now, it is important, I think, to say that nowhere in this teaching is Jesus telling us to intentionally put ourselves in harm's way or to put our family in harm's way. 
And I think in these moments, the Holy Spirit teaches us what we are to do and, uh, and what is appropriate in each moment. And I'll tell you this, the Holy Spirit is probably the one that's harder for you to do. And Jesus gives some examples of what this might look like. He, he, he's trying to drum up thoughts. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So if somebody was in front of me and I wound up and slapped them on the, on the cheek, I would hit their left cheek. And so why it's the right cheek is uh, it's even more important because it either means that there's a backhanded slap uh, which was basically in a, um, like, a, like a demeaning attack on somebody. Like, you're lower than me, backhand slap, you child, right? Or, <laughs> that means I had to hit you with my left hand, okay? If you know anything about ancient culture, um, your left hand, you didn't really touch anyone with your left hand because that's how you cleaned yourself up. If you don't know what I mean by that, well just think about it, okay? Uh, and so to hit somebody with your left hand was an attack on their personhood. To, to hit somebody in the right cheek was to demean them, to insult them, to belittle their character, their reputation. Um, uh, it was basically to just put them in their place, either through a physical assault or a verbal assault. It was to embarrass or insult or diminish Jesus says, hey, if your enemy, if he diminishes you, if he insults you, if he attacks you, I mean, guys, girls too, if somebody hits you, what is your first instinct? <laughs> Hit them back. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Jesus says, if they come after you, if they attack you, if they diminish you, he doesn't get into the merit of whether or not the attack was right or wrong whether they should have or they shouldn't have. He just says, turn the other cheek. By the way, here's one of the more, I think, pressing or difficult parts of this teaching. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching us this, that the moment where you feel the need to stand up and fight, it's probably because you're protecting something that you worship. So someone comes after your reputation and that drives you, whoa, whoa, whoa. If they come after your money, whoa, whoa, whoa. The thing that riles you up, oh, it's probably because that's what you can't stand to lose, which might reveal what it is that you worship. Jesus, turn the other cheek. A practical maybe look at that is somebody does assault you, they, they insult you, they come after you. And I'm not saying there's never a time to defend yourself, okay? I think the Holy Spirit can teach us when is what. But he's saying, let them go. Let them go. Let me take care of it. Jesus goes on. He gives another example. He says, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now they're coming after your livelihood. They're coming after your money. They're coming after what you have. So they come after you, Jesus says. They come after what you've rightfully earned, what you've built. If they, if they, if they come to take it, he says, instead of fighting back, he says, give them your tunic. 
your cloak as well. Now, here's the interesting thing in this. Your tunic, you could be sued. So let me give a modern day example. Modern day, if you file for bankruptcy, they, they'll come in and they'll take everything except what? They can't take your 401k, right? That's, a, that's like this little protection clause in our bankruptcy rules is they can't take your retirement account, right? They'll come take everything else, but that's your, that's your safety net. The cloak was the safety net. You had a legal right, no matter how much you owed somebody, to hold on to your cloak. You had a right to it. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying Christians will go so far to preserve the peace that they'll even surrender their rights. Oh, and Christians, we love our rights. We love them, right? We love our rights. And we love to stand up and say, no, 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 this is my right. This is my right. It's my right. Jesus says, no, surrender your right, even your right, for the sake of peace. For this, he says, surrender it. Give it up. I mean, walk through this with me. In the first one, he's saying, he, he's saying, even when it's not your fault, take fault. Even when it's not your blame, take the blame. He doesn't say, by the way, it's all going to work out in the end and you'll be okay. He doesn't get there. It didn't turn out okay for him. <laughs> he says, even when it's not your fault, take the fault. Then the next he goes, he goes, <laughs> When they come after you, don't even hold on to your rights. Just lay them down. Just lay them down. He goes on. Here's one more example. He says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And we've all kind of heard this phrase before. And the, the teaching, you probably heard this, is uh, in, in their culture, a Roman soldier could say to a Jewish person, carry my stuff for a mile. And the Jewish person had to do it. And so a um, Jewish person could be on their day, working their job, doing their livelihood, right? Time is money, all of that stuff. And they're walking and a Roman soldier comes up and says, you're walking with me a mile. And they have to legally carry their stuff up to 40 pounds um, a mile. Then they could get that mile, and another Roman soldier could come up and say, hey, carry my stuff for a mile. And so then they'd have to walk back. And that whole time, their family's not being taken care of and their business isn't being built and they're not being able to do what they're supposed to do and what they want to do. Their livelihood, their time is being stripped and taken from them. Here's what I think Jesus is teaching here. I mean, I think the first two are hard enough, but this third one, he's saying this. He's saying, would you go so far to serve your enemy? Would you go so far to serve them? To actually take of what is yours, <laughs> what you have still left if they've taken everything else. Your time, your energy, your money, if you have it left, <laughs> whatever it is, and would you actually take what is yours and serve your enemy? And not just serve them to the bare minimum, but to go so far so as to serve them beyond their wildest expectations. Your enemy. Let's rewind. I don't know who's hurt you. I don't know who your fill in the blank is. 
But Jesus says, you want to know how you deal with them? Take blame where it isn't yours. Surrender even your rights when they attack and serve them. That's how you deal with an enemy. Now this is a hard teaching. That's a hard one. How do we do it? I think we can only do it by properly seeing ourselves in the story. If you're like me, you read the story and you read it like Jesus is talking to you. And so you rightfully or, or you probably naturally place yourself as the offended party. The person who has offended you and somebody out there, you have your fill in the blank and they wronged you and they probably did. And they're evil. I'll agree with you. And that's how you see it. Maybe if you have a little bit of perspective, you're able to flip the situation around and you're able to see how in somebody's life or in somebody's world, you're the person who's offended them. And so you begin to see it a little bit from their perspective. But there's a third perspective that I think we have to see this story in if we're gonna properly understand it. And the third perspective is that we have to see ourselves as the one who is doing the offense, but not against another person, against Christ. This is the only way I think we can, uh, we can see this story and actually allow it to begin to change us. We have to see how, how uh, the story is really, what's really underneath this story is us offending Jesus. Is the scripture that says, no one does good, no, not one. Is Romans 3 teaching us that we've all sinned? It's Romans 5 teaching us that we were Christ's enemy. We were his enemy, that we were the evil one towards him, that we assaulted Jesus, that we demanded of Jesus everything that he had. And that the scripture teaches us that he loved us when we were still his enemy. That Christ went to the cross, not when you were his friend, when you were his enemy. That you were Jesus's fill in the blank. You were. Not the, not the bad person that you think of. Not the historically evil person. You were. I was. You were the person who slapped Jesus on the right cheek. Who demanded his cloak. Who told him to walk the mile and to carry your burden. And what did he do? Did he resist you? No. In John 17, he prayed for you, not against you. Did he use words of bitterness? No, he spoke words of blessing and forgiveness on the cross. He didn't resist you. He embraced you. Fully, fully embraced you. Did he withhold? Was he stingy? No, he served you. He served you to the point of death on a cross when you were his enemy. And he became completely vulnerable. 
He didn't hold on to his cloak. He didn't hold on to his rights. Not his rights as king. Not his rights even as an innocent man on earth. He surrendered all of those rights and went to the cross, making himself completely vulnerable. Why? Why? For you. When you were his enemy. You have to see this. And it has to melt you. Because only when that happens can you then look at that evil one who has hurt you. And can you run to them? And can you serve them? And can you be humble enough to say, I'll take the blame. It doesn't matter. It's okay. I'll take the blame. I'll take it. It's fine. Why? Because your identity is no longer in these things. It's so secured in Christ that whatever happens, it's okay. I'll take it for the sake of peace. You have to see what he did when you were his enemy.